once I did get to where I you know, always wanted to be in my career, that if I knew what I knew now, it would have been much, much easier, but that I hadn't learned it. Nobody had told me, you know, I'd had to figure it out. And so that was really the, the kind of essence of the birth of the Unwritten Rules, that it was really the stuff that I wasn't told and that I wish I'd learned earlier in my career that was specifically a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is kind of how you navigate as a woman that I wasn't told because there are different things that work for men that work for women. Welcome to the Being Human is Good for Business podcast. In each episode, the leadership development experts at Trilogy Effect explore how the process of self-discovery unleashes potential in us all. Now here's your host, Sherilyn Starkey. Sherry Lynn Starkey, and welcome to the Being Human is Good for Business podcast. Today, I'm joined by two leadership experts. Welcome, Heather Morass, Managing Partner at Trilogy Effect, and also welcome to Helen Appleby, author of the wonderful book, The Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership. Helen's an executive coach who has run a $1 billion business. She's a mother, a podcaster, a role model for women leaders who has lived and worked in six countries. So, so happy to have you both on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, both. Lovely to have you here. Thank you for coming. So uh, why don't we start at the very beginning, uh, Helen, and you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your career background. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you did a pretty good job there. (laughs) Um, I've recently published a book and I'm a coach and an author and a podcaster and a women's leadership trainer. And previous to that, which is where I know Heather from, I had my own commercial career, which, as you said, spanned many countries, but brought me here to the US in 2007. And so it was a commercial marketing career working for a big pharmaceutical company, uh, which was great. Um, I guess along the way, though, I realized that I liked growing people more than I liked growing brands or businesses. And I said that out loud to a coach. <laughs> I had a coach. Right. <laughs> um, and once I'd said that out loud, he said, oh, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and the genie was out the bottle. Exactly. Yes. The genie wouldn't go back in the bottle. So hence began, you know, a five-year plan to transition um, out of corporate life. Um, and into this new world. And so I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, and along that journey really found that I loved, loved, loved coaching very senior leaders and women on their leadership journey, which has then led to the podcast and the book and the course and, you know, really my life's work, what I'm here on the planet for, which is to uh, make work healthier and help women succeed and uh, get the recognition that they deserve. Changing track here a little bit, Helen, I've recently read your book, The Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership. I've got to say I loved it because I felt like you totally nailed it. (laughs) 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 What what brought you to the idea that this book needed to be written? Thank you, Sharon, first of all. Um, I guess what brought me to it was the recognition, I guess, that, you know, I succeeded, but it was probably harder than it should have been. And so, you know, when my dad told me when I was little that girls can do anything boys can do, you know, I believed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he didn't tell me, you know, some of the stuff that would be really hard, like that I would sometimes cry and try and cry silently in the bathroom and, you know, that I would take conflict so personally. 
and that you know, I really didn't get good at stakeholder management and that whole process of managing up until, you know, much later in my career than I should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went on all the courses, you know, I was on all the high potential programs and went all, you know, I was on the Unilever company's management development program. And, you know, there was a real sense, I think, once I did get to where I, you know, always wanted to be in my career, that if I knew what I knew now, it would have been much, much easier, but that I hadn't learned it. Nobody had told me, you know, I'd had to figure it out. And so that was really the, the kind of essence of the birth of the unwritten rules, that it was really the stuff that I wasn't told and that I wish I'd learned earlier in my career that was specifically a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is kind of how you navigate as a woman that I wasn't told because there are different things that work for men that work for women and different tendencies that we have. So, you know, the the topics in the book are, there are leadership topics, as you saw, but they're, I've picked them because they're typically the areas that, you know, everyone can struggle with, but that women disproportionately often struggle with. So it was a real sense of, Sherilyn, of wanting to make it better for the women that came behind me, and also wanting to make it better for all of our daughters. I was really excited to read your book and see it as kind of a handbook for the uh, for women leaders coming up behind us, or or, or, or not even women we- leaders, just women who work coming up behind us and uh, learning from the hard slog that some of the, our generation went through in mm-hmm. learning these unwritten rules. And so- it's Sherilyn, it's very deliberately designed to be really practical. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you found it that way. It's really, you know, I describe it as kind of strategies you know, and tools and approaches to really do things differently. You know, I, I do a lot of like, say this, <laughs> you know, don't yeah. say this, say that, right. And helping with the vocabulary so that it's really, you know, really actionable in the workplace immediately. It was really designed to be practical. So thank you. I'm glad it landed that way for you. It did for me too. Yeah, for sure. And what do you think is the number one unwritten rule that women need to learn? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot I guess the one I coach on a lot and the one that I end up being asked a lot about is um this concept of visibility right I learned you know I wish I'd learned 10 years earlier in my career that there is invisible work and visible work and that we only get judged on our visible work I think many women including me kind of work on the premise that if we do good work, then our work will be noticed and we'll get recognized and paid and promoted because of it. And I guess, you know, what what you find out as you go through your 30s and 40s is that it doesn't work like that, right? And, and that approach on its own is really not how everyone's playing the game. And so, you know, being quiet or the other thing that I see women do a lot is relying just on their boss to promote their work and to recognize it and to make it visible. And bosses are really busy, right? And, mm-hmm. or, you know, even if they do do it, you know, our job then becomes, you know, how do we help them do it really well? But what I say to women is, it's really your job to make your work visible. And I guess, you know, back in the day, I kind of knew that. That wasn't really an unwritten rule, but where that then took me back then was like, oh, I have to self-promote. Like mm-hmm. that feels so yucky and inauthentic. And 
you know, now I have to, you know, I just, I just felt so salesy and just like, oh, I don't really want to do that. I'm like, that's something else on the to-do list, you know, must do that soon. Mm-hmm. And it never kind of made it up to the top. So the change for me, the, the flip point, I think for me on that journey was realizing not to think of it as self-promotion, but to think of it as education, right? Okay. To really think, what is my visible work? What is my invisible work, right? To focus on what is my invisible work? What is the results that I deliver, the work that I do, or the value that I add that people don't know about? And then to really sit and say, okay, so who's people, right? Because not everyone, we don't need to be, you know, on a billboard on Times Square, do we? <laughs> right? But... <laughs> The people that need to know are the people that will be in the room or consulted, right? In the room or consulted when your next role is discussed. So your next move or your next promotion. And typically people will say, oh, that's my boss and it's HR, you know, it's two. And then I say, are you sure? I don't think it is. (laughs) Go back, right? I think that list is between six and 10 people long, right? It's other senior leaders, it's previous bosses, it's the peers that you work with. It's, you know, the divisional president. It's maybe your HR, you know, day-to-day leader and maybe their boss too, right? What's that list? And then what is the invisible work that they don't know about? And the flip being, can you educate them? Mm. Can you set up a meeting, tell them, give them an update, ask for their advice and bring them in on all the things that you do and the value that you add and that will get you the recognition, the promotion and therefore the pay that you really deserve. And I, women just, we're just not great at it, right? We just would prefer to do good work and hope that it works mm, out and so true. decelerates our careers. Can you give us some examples of the, you know, what, what's typically remains invisible? What kind of work, invisible work are women doing? I think it varies. Like when I say that in a room, you know, when I talk or give a talk at a, you know, Mm. um, women's employee resource group, um, which I often did um, in person before COVID. But when you say that to women, like what's the invisible work that you do? The normal reaction I get is, and their eyes roll Mm. and they say, there's so much that I do. You know, they have no idea. They have no idea of, you know, the crap that I put up with, the barriers that I have to go through, the results that I deliver. You know, if I moved on, they'd have to replace me with two people. You know, I think I think if we just, you know, think back and think about our jobs, it's actually, if you take the time, it's actually not that hard to identify what is invisible in, in a particular role. Yeah. And I think it's, um, there's the obvious stuff like, you know, who's going to take the minutes of this meeting? I hate to say it, but that gets asked all the time and still does. Community work. Yes. Women disproportionately get asked to do community work. Yes. Yeah. And who's going to make sure that there's, you know, everybody's got it on their schedules and that kind of stuff because they're really, there's not the level of administrative support that there used to be in an organization. So a lot of that administrative work is still the invisible stuff that somebody has to do. But also, I think to your point, there's, depending on the role, there will be work that's invisible, that's kind of unique to your role that you don't even realize maybe is invisible. You just have a creeping resentment (laughs) climbing up your spine about the fact that people don't seem to get it. And that's probably a good clue. 
It is that that spidey sense. I think is that's yeah. what I see when I see you know the audience eyes roll. But I think it's it's often you know not just the admin stuff, but it may just be the value that you add or the results that you deliver. Yeah. Right. You know, if a you know piece of business that you're working on is doing well. You know, are you telling people? Are you telling people exactly. these are the results and you know this is what the research showed or you know this is where our focus is or this is a new account yeah. that we've brought in, you know, um, or you know this was the result of the audit or you know that kind of thing. Often, I think, yeah, is, I think it's business as usual, but women don't tell yeah. that yeah. you know when it goes well because they just kind of take it for granted and carry on. Whereas that isn't often how men do it they'll shout it from the rooftops and write the email and tell the senior stakeholders and you know people know they claim the credit right whereas women you know we're often just a bit reluctant we use we a lot you know much more than men do when we talk about our work Mm. uh, which is you know it's not not wrong but you know in terms of claiming credit even if you claim it for the team we're much more reluctant to do that than men are Claiming credit, that really resonated with me because one of the things that I was thinking about this um, invisible work and advocating for yourself beyond your direct report, I mean, oftentimes a direct report might be very, very happy to let everyone in the wider organization think that, you know, this individual is responsible for all this progress. And uh, that might not actually be the facts. It might be that uh, it's, you know, the women on his team or her team, are, yeah. are working away in the background on invisible work. And particularly, yes. I think the business as usual stuff and things that are going well, it's a good point because most places, uh, most you know, businesses, especially at the senior level, there's so much going on that you focus on the um, exceptions and the variances. Mm-hmm. And so if things are going well, there's not a lot of airtime or communication around the value being provided just by the solid performance of stuff that's working and yeah. and that, often that's we, a really all, we all you know these days tend to work in a matrix don't we so you know if you're somebody in the center that's providing materials for a market or you know then often the market will get the credit rather than the people in the center or you know the danger is people in the center you know there's just it's great right there's a lot of blurred lines in how mm-hmm. we work in these cross-functional teams and But like I said, it's the people that need to know are the people who will be in the room or consulted when your next role is discussed, right? Not the whole town doesn't need to know, but those people do need to know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it makes me think of something that I learned early in my career that I didn't realize I was learning. Um, It was learning about account management and it was, of course, for sales work, but I started to realize that it was important for internal work as well to navigate the influence structure. What's the power structure? Where do decisions get made? Not according to the org chart, but according to what I see going on. And you start to be able to map out where the influencing is happening. And it's to your point, these are the people who it would be wise to share the value being produced by me and my organization so that it's and why it matters to them you know Mm -hmm. we're helping you in these ways and is there more we can do kind of stuff so very uh, there's a whole nobody told me that (laughs) I agree there's a whole other chapter in there on influencing skills 
and that yes. you know stakeholder management process, right? I think earlier in my career, I thought that if I just showed up to the meeting and I'd done good work, then I could kind of, you know, like a, on the silver platter in the restaurant, you know, taran, taran, surprise. <laughs> yeah, and it was brilliant work and everybody would agree. And yeah. yeah, and then as you get older and wiser, you realize that the meeting actually happens before the meeting. <laughs> and that actually, yes. you know, as you get more senior, your job is actually to not to do the work, but to prepare for the meeting. And exactly as you say, Heather, go along and have those discussions of if this is what we're working on and what do you think and give me your input and how would it work in your market and what does that mean for your customers and get their input and build it with them. Because what I say to women is people support what they help to build. Very good. Subconsciously, right? That's why you can get children to eat vegetables if they helped you cook them. (laughs) Because it's subconscious, right? So if you arrive at the meeting and the stakeholders have all been managed before, then you know, right? You know who the advocates are. They feel like they've been brought on the journey. And then you can, you know, show the solution and and the meeting happens as you expect it to happen. Um, But again, you know, I don't know that I was really taught that as early as I really needed to know it. And I kind of resented it like, oh, this is just more work. You know, we've done the good work. Why can't the work speak for itself? Mm. Doesn't work like that. Right. (laughs) Right. How's your book been received so far? It's been great. To be honest, what I've had is, you know, wow, thank you. It's really practical. And the other thing that has been, was really heartwarming was last Christmas. I published it like last uh, November, October, November. It was just how many of my girlfriends and, you know, women that I'd known along the journey yeah. had bought it for their friends for Christmas, which was so nice. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. didn't expect that at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. And, you know, it's really helped. Once you have a book, it's really you know, much easier with content for social media. And then, you know, it's now obviously become a course. Um, yeah. So the book is a course that has, you know, activity worksheets and coaching with me to go alongside it. But, you know, there is a book of a course, which is great <laughs> and helpful to participants too. Let's kind of change track here and go on and talk about, you know, practical things that people can use in leadership. And and one thing that Heather and I talk about on the podcast a lot is, is the Enneagram framework. And it is such a practical tool that Heather uh, uses and her team use with uh, all the work that they do with leadership development. And I wondered if you were familiar with it or something that you use. Oh, my goodness, Sherilyn, it's so close to my heart. Thanks to Heather, actually, and working with Trilogy. So mm-hmm. when I was running that global business, um, we were fortunate to be working with Trilogy, and Heather and the Trilogy team brought Enneagram to us um, in a big way, and uh, I have never looked back. I'm, to this day, a devoted student of it, and I use it with my one-on-one clients all the time. I think I like it because as a coach working one-on-one with a client, it seems pretty unique to me in personality testing types in that it, it looks at what drives us from the inside. That's why I like to use it. So um, really understanding, not so much, you know, is someone extrovert or are they, you know, extrovert or introvert, right? Which is more about how they look on the outside. But Enneagram is more about, you know, what drives us from the inside. 
so back then, you know, understanding what type I was and understanding that other people were different types. I guess, you know, whenever you use a personality testing tool, whatever it is, one of the most important things that finding out your personality type gives you is that you realize there are types and that not everyone's the same. <laughs> and that actually having people around you that are different is actually an advantage and they're not just annoying because they're not like you. <laughs> so it gave us as a team, it gave us, it gave us a shared language and an appreciation of different types. And then for me, one of the great things about Enneagram is that it tells you what are you like you know, at a level when you're feeling healthy, at a higher level of health, and then kind of where do you go when you know, you're in the grip or not doing so well? And uh, Heather taught us you know, these wake-up signs for when we're descending through the levels of health um, and how to catch ourselves. So it was, it was enormously useful. I wanted to move on just to talk about gender in the workplace because uh, I feel like that's an important topic in this context because we're talking about you know, your book is all about, it's all for women leaders. And I feel that, you know, young men also struggle in the current, current context to, to become leaders. Do you think there's like a, uh, that the men still maybe don't have the same struggles as women do when it comes to surviving and thriving in, in the corporate world? So I think the leadership lessons that are in the book are, you know, could be for anyone. I'm specifically trying to make a difference for women. But there's also, um, there's a chapter in the back, there's an afterword at the back for men that want to help. So for senior leaders, you know, and I ask them questions like, you know, do you lead a team or do you lead an organization that you'd want your daughter to work for? And if not, what are you going to do about it? It just struck me that I wish I had been given this book too earlier in my career. And I did have mentors, but pretty much I exclusively, they were all men. And there were some things that men did teach me that are in your book, that my mentors. So even that, the unwritten rules for women leaders is great for men who are mentoring women. Oh, it's, not just for, yeah. it's not just for women who are mentoring women because yeah. I was mentored. I was very fortunate I got, and so were you as, you know, when you read the book, to be mentored by some really great men and mm -hmm. who cared about me advancing and could mm -hmm. see that there were some areas where I would be at an automatic disadvantage unless I understood these things, such as the influencing piece yes. that you talked about earlier. You, you know, the meeting happens before the meeting. I yes. really, I, I was taught that. Great. I didn't want to hear it just like you. <laughs> and I was taught that by men. So yes, I and I guess the, um, the unwritten bit on the mentors for me, though, is as a mentor, we tend to be drawn to mentoring people that remind us of ourselves when we were mm -hmm. younger. So I guess, you know, in the afterword, what I say to men is, who do you mentor, right? Sit down and make a list. Who do you mentor? Who do you, you know, book a coffee with? Who do you, whose career do you take interest in, right? There may not be a mentor with a capital M, but whose career do you take interest in? And who do you sponsor, which means who do you advocate for when they're not in the room? And to bring awareness to that list, because my experience had it was, you know, we did get mentored, we did, but the men around me got it a lot more. And what I say to women now is, if you want really great mentors, 
you may have to ask Mm -hmm. and you may have to make it really clear that, you know, I really admire what you've done here, Heather, you know, I'd love to ask for your advice. Can we talk? Right. And then build a relationship and, you know, introduce the idea of being their mentee later. But I didn't realize that it didn't happen because I didn't know how to ask. It's hard to ask someone to mentor me. Like I, I, it, again, it's, that's an awkward conversation, but you have some very practical tips as to how to approach that conversation. And it doesn't have to be awkward. It can be just about the business, about what you appreciate about this person's, you know, position and what you've observed they're able to accomplish. Can you help me? And it just is a very natural entree into a more influenced, influencing relationship. Absolutely. And getting clear, you know, what the journeys ahead of you are in your career and therefore who can mentor you. Mm -hmm. Again, I try to make very practical. And the other thing about mentors is that they can be a potential sponsor in the future because mentors are kind of a, are a career accelerator, but sponsorship is another level of career acceleration. So, you know, building strong mentoring relationships within the organization, they could well be later on or, you know, once you've built the relationship, they could be really powerful sponsorship. You know, I think Heather would be great for that role. I was talking to her about that the other day and she told me, and, you know, I think we should consider Heather, right? And suddenly you're in the room when you weren't in the room before. It can be really helpful. You know, there were two areas that really struck me in your book. I really wish I had known this, you know, when I was starting out. And the the first one was the whole chapter and everything you put in around negotiating. Mm-hmm. I just, I wish I'd known that. I committed every, you know, mistake that you talked about in, in it. And just take the know, best just, off, take the first offer oh, and be grateful, yeah. hey? I'm forever <laughs> grateful anytime yeah. somebody advocated for me to get a raise. The second one? was the whole chapter on sexual harassment. Mm. And what I appreciated about what you put in it is it has some gravitas. It is not something you go into unprepared. When you, when you realize it's happening, there is preparation that you must do. You must equip yourself. And I thought you did a really good, honest job of what you're up against when this is something you're dealing with. Or, you know, you want it's to a really, it. really tricky area. But I guess what the research does yeah. show us really clearly is if you don't do anything about it, it's not going to stop on its own. It's, so exactly. really the quicker and the, the earlier in the journey of it, you can nip it in the bud, potentially the better the outcome. I feel like we have have some um, stories in the headlines here in Canada right now around this. And and the women that are coming forward are talking about things that happened 25 years ago. And only now they feel, you know, empowered to speak out about something that's impacted their careers for most of their working lives. Mm -hmm. And maybe their happiness and their mental health too. The first first thing I write is it's not your fault. So speak up, write it down, you know, tell a friend, you know, and all the kind of steps that escalate up from there. What are you most hopeful about now as you face the future, Helen? Oh, great question, Shannon. Um, I think I'm most hopeful about two things. The first of which is I am seeing real 
attention within companies, particularly in big companies, to addressing diversity and inclusion and, you know, company cultures getting healthier and more focus being put on, you know, getting women and people of colour and diverse candidates in general, you know, more involved and, and more, you know, recognised and paid and promoted. So that seems to be really changing. Um, and then the other thing I'm excited about is this concept, which I talk a lot in the book about, and, you know, there's a lot of it in my work, the concept of sisterhood, right, and women supporting women. You know, I run the book of the course, The Unwritten Rules, is very specifically about sisterhood. It's about getting sisterhood, you know, getting support from other women and giving it, right, and helping other women rise as we rise. And I think, you know, back in the day, you know, back in the days of Margaret Thatcher and, you know, our mother's generation, you know, there was a queen bee, right? One woman made it through and then she kind of pulled up the drawbridge behind her. And that isn't <laughs> the world that we live in now, right? There are, you know, really generous, um, supportive women out there that want to help other women and want, you know, like we do, want to make it better for all of us and yeah. for our daughters too. So I think those two, I think real change coming, you know, real willingness and openness to change in companies and really the rise of sisterhood, um, which we also know research shows makes a big difference to women's success. Having a supportive group of women around you definitely helps you rise and also helps you keep going. A lot of this journey, to be honest, Sharon, is resilient. Mm. Like we, you just have to keep going. <laughs> and that helps that too. And I think it actually, you know, all boats rise uh, with this. It helps men too. And it helps men and it helps companies and it helps company yeah. performance. It's win, win, win. Thank you to author Helen Appleby for joining us on today's show. And thank you to all you leaders who are our listeners. Uh, see the show for the links on how to get your copy of The Unwritten Rules for Women's Leadership by Helen Appleby. And you'll also find links to information and resources about some of the tools and concepts that we discussed today. Please never miss an episode of our podcast by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. Recommend us to your friends, your family, or to anyone you know who wants to learn to become a better, stronger, more effective leader. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey, and this has been the Being Human is Good for Business podcast. <laughs>